Let's pray before we get started. Father, we, we come to you this morning. Father, it's a bright day and it's a sunny day and we, we naturally want to thank you for a new year, a new opportunity, for all the blessings of last year. Father, for the things that you have done and things you're going to do. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the teaching that it gives us, the wisdom. Father, thank you that it points us to your son. I pray, Father, that, that the words will penetrate our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it does feel like a bright kind of day. It feels like a, a fresh start for the year. It feels, um, the Titans won last night. Um, and, uh, and the Vols won a few days ago, so... Um, we have a lot to be thankful for, more, th- more significant things than those, actually. The message today, though, is, is a little heavier. <laughs> we have this book of Obadiah that we're looking into. Um, it's, it's a tough word. Um, I want to encourage you, if you don't have one yet, grab one of these study books um, that, that we've prepared to, to kind of help you walk through these minor prophets as we, as we look into them. Um, so yeah, I was saying, we have so much to be thankful for. We, we've got many, many blessings that we need to treasure and celebrate. Just to, if you think back over the last year, we've celebrated Christ's death and resurrection last Easter time. We had our Seder Supper, we had a Tenebrae service, and then we had Easter that we all celebrated together. This church has hosted a WANA, VBS, and then a Summer Family Palooza event. Um, if you think about all of the things that have happened here, we've been blessed by the hands of many faithful servants. And I know I'm talking to many of those servants who, who've worked to make the welcome home more welcoming, to make the fellowship hall a nicer space for our youth um, and other events, made major improvements in this worship center, um, the, this, the stage and, and the, 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 the soundboard Stand back there, and we're still working through that. We're not quite done, but man, what progress so far. Um, we've even got a parking lot now. <laughs> what a blessing that is. It's practical. Um, we've walked together through the books of Isaiah and Proverbs. Uh, we've seen many new faces join with us and visit. And, and best of all, I think we closed the year out with a baptism service. We had seven people baptized as they professed their faith and then followed in obedience and baptism. And and what a way to close out the year. What a celebration that was. So truly God is good. And can we say amen to that? Amen. Amen. He loves us. And He blesses us. And He wants to do that. He blesses us so much sometimes that we can forget that He's more than just a cheerful grandfather God sitting up here and looking for reasons to spoil us. Because He is more than that. And we know from reading Obadiah, we're going to look into that today. We're going to see a little bit different side of this Heavenly Father, of this great God. We know, we know that we're made in His image. We can give, but He gives more freely, more generously. He gives more wisely than we do. We can use our minds. We can use our minds for reason and for knowledge. But the depth of His wisdom invented our minds. So as as great as our minds are, they're just a shadow of His. He gave us this very universe that we can use our minds to try to untangle and discover and understand it. He invented the whole thing. We can use our hands to work 
to make things and achieve things. But, but everything we do is in the context of what He has made already. Right? We can love. But He loves more. Perfectly. More completely. We can use our energy to seek justice. But ours will always be imperfect and limited by our power and our wisdom, which is limited. His justice is perfectly right. Perfectly good. And it's implemented with infinite power. And we can hate. But does God hate? Is our hate part of our God image? Or is it part of our sin? As we look into these things, we we struggled a little bit with these things. We talked about them in Sunday school this morning a little bit. Today we're going to look in this short book of Obadiah. It's 21 verses, the whole entire book. And we're going to consider what it teaches us about God's character. We like to think about the comforting parts of God's character. His love, His patience, His mercy. Those things are are nice to think about. But God is bigger. He's deeper. He's more complicated than that. He has another side. There's a, a movie out that would celebrate a dark side. Let me tell you, God doesn't have a dark side. John 1.5 tells us that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. But He has a side that is about judgment, about anger, about vengeance, and even hate. We're going to see that in God these things are not evil or wrong, but actually perfect and good. And we're going to consider that when we worship Him well, it's when we worship Him in truth and understand who He is. So for a little bit of context about this chapter of Obadiah, and I'm, I'm glad we got to dive into it in Sunday school because that, that lays a good foundation. Um, but this, this chapter is one single prophecy. You look in the prophecies of people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're just chapter after chapter of different oracles about this topic and that topic and what's going to happen. Obadiah is very focused. It's one thing. And it's about Edom. Edom... Let's, let's just talk about who he is for a minute, who, who they are, who Edom is. Edom is the nation to the south of the nation of Israel. And in this context in Obadiah, that's who Edom is. It's that nation. It borders the southern part of the territory of Judah. Edom is another word for Esau, the firstborn twin brother of Jacob. Remember that Jacob had a twin brother and actually Esau was the firstborn. They were twins, but one had to come out first, and that was Esau. And remember that they battled before they were born, and they battled after they were born about who was going to be preeminent. Esau was the older brother, and remember that he sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob was sneaky, and Esau did not value his birthright. He sold it for the price of a bowl of soup because he cared more about his comfort in that moment than he cared about the birthright from his father. Now later, he didn't really want to give that up after he'd sold it. And so Jacob and his mother actually tricked Isaac into giving him the birthright and the blessing. This is, this is Esau. Esau became the father of a nation. Even after he was left without the promise, he still became the father of a great nation. They took his name. That's where Edom came from. They lived to the south of the land of of Israel. Then later, when Israel was fleeing from Egypt to the promised land, and we know that story very well, 
But there's a small little interlude in there when they come out and they cross the Red Sea and they want to cross through this land to get to where they're going. But that land belongs to Edom. And Edom says, no, you can't come through here. And they said, oh, please, if, if we take anything at all, we'll pay for it. And we're not going to bother anybody. We're not going to hurt anything. We just want to walk through. And Edom said, no, you cannot come through. And they sent, they sent their armies out to stop them. Now that is about 1300 B.C. Obadiah comes about, say, 700 years later after that. Okay? So a lot of water under the bridge. And one of the things that's happened now is the exile to Babylon. Israel has been exiled. And the, the Babylonians have sacked Jerusalem. And so Edom sat by and watched the sacking. And then even kind of participated in the looting. It, looting it kind of implies in the text. So, so now God is pronouncing this oracle of judgment on Edom. And that's the text of Obadiah. I'm going to read the whole thing. It won't take too long because it's 21 verses. Just tune in. I want you to listen to words of hope. Because there aren't very many. And the only words of hope in here are words for Israel. Edom gets nothing except judgment. So I want you to listen to that. Hear the word of the Lord. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord. And a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how, you would have, how have you been destroyed? Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you, they have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates, and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother, in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. And it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. 
Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negeb. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, judgment, judgment, judgment. Bad day for, for Edom. My outline today, and it's in the study guide there, God is a patient God until He's not. When God judges, He judges thoroughly. And I want you to think about this. You won't love the good news unless you believe the bad news. All right. Let's start off at the top. God's a patient God until He's not. I want to start with this description that God gave of Himself to Moses. I want to seek to understand God's character fully and not make a false or incomplete picture of who God is. So let's, let's see what He says about Himself. When Moses asked to see God, he, that's a big favor to ask. God, would you show me yourself? And God said, well, you know what, Moses? I'll do as much as I can for you. I'll hide you in a rock so that you're not destroyed by my presence. But I will pass by you. And when he did this, when he passed by, he announced himself. And this is the, these are the words that he said. Very interesting. This is God describing himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is how God describes Himself. Okay, He starts with mercy and grace and patience. Those are the things He emphasizes at the beginning. And that's, that's pleasant. That's what, that's what I like to hear. Right? Um, so, so, also I included some things from Nahum in here, because Nahum is a lot like Obadiah, but it's focused on Nineveh, um, and, and there's a, it's really a parallel sort of prophecy. And, and so, God's declaring an absolute judgment on Nineveh, but in the opening verses of Nahum, Nahum echoes God's words to Moses, and he says almost the same thing. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. So, powerful, slow to anger... But he's not going to clear the guilty, right? What does this mean that he's not going to clear the guilty? It means that he does not simply dismiss and ignore sin. He's not, he's not the, the grandfather up here that's watching their grandkids do wrong and just saying, oh, aren't they cute, right? That is not God's character. He, the sin must be paid for. That's the thing with God. That he will not merely just dismiss it and clear it out of the way. It has to be taken care of. It has to be accounted for. Because why? God is a God of perfect justice. He is patient, slow to anger, he's loving, he's all these things that he says, but he's also just. The wrong has to be paid for. So God's preparing justice for Edom in Obadiah's prophecy and for Nineveh and Nahum's prophecy. For these nations, justice just simply means destruction. Also in Nahum, we get, we get these really clear words, even, even a little bit uh, tighter than maybe than what we see in Obadiah. 
that patience is not the only way God deals with sinners. In verse 2 of Nahum 1, of chapter 1 of Nahum, he says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries and keeps wrath for His enemies. Listen to those words. Jealous, avenging, and wrathful. These are hard to hear because when we think of them in human terms, they're almost always sinful. If you think of a person who's jealous, avenging, and wrathful, that's probably not a good person. Right? But God's not sinful. How do we reconcile these things? Well, His jealousy is righteous. He is justified in guarding His own honor. His own glory. Because He actually deserves it. Right? When humans jealously guard their own honor, it's from a place of pride. Because whatever plans we achieve, whatever honor we get, we're dependent on God's mercy on us. He can take it away at any moment. And we have no right. So our jealousy, in this sense, for our own honor, is inappropriate. Where God's jealousy of His own honor is appropriate. It's right. So when it says that He's jealous, yeah, He's jealous. And He's right to be so. We, on the other hand, do not have that. It's not right for us. This is what Obadiah says about that. Verse 3, The pride of your heart has deceived you. Though you soar aloft like the eagle from there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Reminds me of the Johnny Cash song we listened to this morning. Sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. That was the, that was the lyric. Pretty tough lyric. Uh, but, but that's kind of what Obadiah is saying. From there, I will bring you down. I have never been there, but I've seen pictures of some places in Moab. And I think you've taken some pictures. Petra is the city that's built into these cliffs. Right? So, he's, um, he's saying that you, you might make your nest in these cliffs. You live in these cliffs and you think you're so high up. You think you're so great. I'll bring you down. That's what God's saying to Edom. So his jealousy is righteous. His vengeance is righteous. When man takes vengeance, he takes the place of God. That's the problem. But vengeance is God's right. So he has done no wrong to anyone. God has done no wrong to anyone. So if someone does him wrong, he's justified in his retribution. When vengeance comes from God... It's the same thing as justice when it comes from God. When humans take revenge, though, it's a different thing. They're taking God's right for themselves. And that's the problem. When God says, vengeance is mine, He means it. It's mine. Not for you to take. But vengeance in God's hands is righteous. So, His jealousy and His vengeance are real. And they're righteous. His anger is righteous. What makes God angry? In a word, sin So when God is angry, He's righteous. Humans can be angry without sinning, but oh, it's hard. It's hard for us. And and the Scripture calls on us. It says, be angry, but do not sin. Or in your anger, do not sin. Right? So it's possible for us to be angry righteously about injustice that we see. But my goodness, our pride gets in the way. And if you're like me, most of the time that you're angry, you really can't claim that it's righteous. Um... But God's always 100% righteous. When He is angry, it's because of injustice. It's because of sin. So the point here, that these things, these hard things about God, they all still reflect His righteousness. And that God is patient 
until he's not. We cannot assume that because he's not acted yet, that he will never act. It is in his character to be slow to anger. But that doesn't mean never angry. It's in his character character to forgive, but his justice requires an accounting. So if you have this idea of God, of the friendly grandfather, that gives gifts and just overlooks bad behavior, then you're ignoring the clear teaching of Scripture. Scripture tells us that He is more than that. He's deeper than that. Jesus said that He seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. And if we want to worship Him in truth, we have to accept these other things about Him. Because to ignore part of God's character is to skip the truth part. It's to invent a new God that we, that we would like to envision. Right? But we can't do that. He can be jealous, He can be angry, and He can be vengeance, vengeful while remaining right in all that He does. Can you take that truth in? Can you embrace it? That's what we have to do. Second point. When God judges, He judges thoroughly. In reading, in reading these verses, I thought it was so interesting. When we look at verse 5 from Obadiah there. It says, God is going to be thorough in His destruction of Edom. Verse 5 says, If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? He's saying, you will wish you were dealing with human pillagers. Because they would leave some scraps. But I'm not going to. My destruction is going to be complete. It's going to be complete. There will be nothing left of Edom when he's done. And in fact, today, there is no Edom. It's not a place. It's not a people. It's nothing. It's, it's ancient history. They're gone. But what about Israel? They're in the news every day. It's an actual place. It's an actual people. It's a, it's a miracle, frankly. So this calls us to look into this idea of judgment versus discipline. Because we, as Christians, we still suffer, right? And we have to think about the idea of our suffering. Is it, is it discipline or is it judgment? And what does this mean? So... Let's think about that for a minute. Discipline is suffering inflicted by God on those He loves as children. Interesting. But it has a purpose to teach and to shape them, to cause them to grow in character. But judgment is punishment. It is not intended to teach. It is not intended to restore. It is intended as a final retribution and payment for crimes committed. You see the difference? Discipline leads to growth in life. The writer of the Hebrews put it this way in chapter 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And we'll skip a few verses. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you see the tone? Can you just hear the tone of love and care? The intent to build and grow? So discipline is suffering, yes. But it's suffering with an end point and it's suffering with a purpose. Right? Not judgment. Where discipline leads to growth and discipline leads to life, judgment leads to death. Listen to Obadiah and Nahum talking about Edom and Nineveh. From one nine of Obadiah. Every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. There's no growth, 
There's no opportunity. There's no second chances. Every man will be cut off by slaughter. Period. Not you will suffer for a while, but I'll, but I'll teach you how to overcome. No. They will be dead. Nahum 1.8 says, With an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. And then Nahum 1.14, I will make your grave, for you are vile. That's, that's rough language. These are not words of teaching. They're not words of love. They're not words of discipline. They're words of final judgment. My mind is made up. You're going down. You're dead. And here's the thing. God brings both. We like to say that God is a God of second chances. And He is. He is. We love the story of the prodigal son. And in that parable... The suffering of the son due to his poor choices humbled him and caused him to come back to the father who was ready to forgive. So this was a sort of discipline if we look at that. And what did it lead to? Life and restoration to the father, right? That suffering led to life and restoration. That's discipline. But judgment leads to death. And when God brings judgment, He's thorough, like He's talking about in Obadiah and Nahum. Do you have the idea that God gives unlimited chances? That He only ever disciplines and temporarily? Because that's not what the Bible teaches. His judgment is complete and it's eternal. His destruction and death is what He brings. Can you embrace this hard and uncomfortable truth? This isn't fun to talk about and think about, is it? But it's the truth of Scripture. That leads me to my third point. Bad news and good news. In, the, in this church, we love the gospel. We love the good news. And well, we should. Right? Even We, we try to preach it. In fact, we challenge each other. Did, did you make sure that there was a gospel presentation in the message, in the lesson, in, in whatever curriculum or or a message that we're talking about. We want to make sure that we're presenting the gospel. Why? Because what could be more important? Right? It is the good news that saves. So we celebrate it. But the good news is actually rather empty if we forget the bad news of judgment. If we assume that all there is is only good news, it starts to get a bit bland. And we may not appreciate it like we should. So I want to make three quick points about that. First of all, not everyone will be saved. Okay? The Bible is crystal clear on this. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. And Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. But there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So not only will some face judgment and eternal punishment, but Jesus says most will. Let that sink in for a minute. That's not good news. That's bad, right? This judgment is coming for many people, and they will not escape it. Not everyone's going to get saved. So think of that. As you, as you go about your life, as you're, as you're in town, if you're at work or you're at school or if you're even at church, you're looking at people who are going on the way to destruction, who are taking that wide gate, and they're going to face God's wrath and judgment. 
not His discipline. And if you haven't trusted Jesus, then you're looking at one of those when you look in the mirror. One of Satan's favorite lies is to tell everyone that they're, they're going to be okay in the end. It's all going to work itself out. Right? There are many ways to heaven. God's a good God. He doesn't want anyone to suffer. Right? But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches God's a good God, yes. The Bible does teach us He doesn't even want anyone to, to be condemned. Right? The Bible teaches that. But it doesn't teach that He's just going to give everyone a pass. Right? That's not what He teaches. Will you believe the lies that you see posted with pretty graphics on Facebook that make you feel warm and fuzzy? Or are you going to believe some of the hard words that we find in, this, in His Word? We need to stick to what's true. Right? So, the first point, not everyone will be saved. Tough point. Second point, time will run out. Okay? Peter wrote, and we talked about this in Sunday school, he, he wrote to teach us that God's patience is immense. And he doesn't want to see anyone perish. But eventually he's going to call time. And it will be over. The day of the Lord will come. It will all be over. His patience will expire. Judgment will come for the entire world. But for each of us, we have our own clocks. We have our own expiration. We talked about this for a minute in Sunday school too. Just last month at work, I was reminded of this. I had in one week... Not people that I knew well, but two people basically dropped dead. And, and I don't know either of them, so I don't really know where they were spiritually. Um, but it causes you to think. I'm, I'm sure many of you have known people who died suddenly, either by accident or by some you know, medical thing that happened. It happens. We don't know how much time we have. Um, and each of us has our own clock, and God is in control of that clock, and we're not. Right? My question would be, are you ready? Because you, you don't have infinite time. So the third one, that God's going to take from some and give to others. This is really interesting. Uh, from verse 20 of our, of our chapter today, it says that the exiles of this host of the people of Israel... In other words, the people who were driven out by the Babylonians, the, the Edomites sat and watched and gloated and cheered while they were being driven out. The exiles of this host shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Now, the cities of the Negev are the cities down there in Moab. So basically he's saying, Edom... I'm going to wipe you out, and I'm going to take your land, and you know who I'm going to give it to? I'm going to give it to the people that you cheered when they got driven out of their city, the people of Israel. God promised to restore Israel and even give them the territory of Edom. And for those who trust Him, He will restore us too. Right? Ephesians and Revelation teach us not only will we be, will be, will we be restored, but He's going to raise us Seat us with Him to reign in glory. Can you even imagine? I can't. I can say the words, but I can't really quite comprehend really what that means. But that is the restoration. And so, as the, I'd like to invite the music team to come up because I want to conclude with a few, a few more thoughts. That you won't really completely truly love the good news, this gospel, unless you believe the bad news. Okay, And this is the whole point of the message this morning. That the gospel is the good news. 
The bad news is this. God is jealous, sometimes angry, and sometimes vengeful. And we people are all guilty of crimes against Him. And we deserve His anger, we deserve His vengeance, and we deserve thorough destruction. That's the bad news. And He's powerful to do it. And you know what else? He has declared He will not clear the guilty. And we're all guilty. So we are in a heap of trouble. When you look at the bad news, we face God's punishment and Obadiah tells us that we would wish for human pillagers whose destruction is only imperfect and temporary compared to God, what He can do. John tells us in Revelation there will be in the end a lake of fire eternally burning to punish Satan and those condemned for their sins. And you know what? That's our rightful place. Do you feel the weight of that? That's bad. That's hard. Do you see the situation that we're in? If you can get your head around that, that is what makes the gospel so sweet. Because the good news is this. He will by no means clear the guilty. There must be payment for our crimes. And Keith Green said a song. I love this line. It's very simple. He's talking about this, this payment. He said, you can pay it yourself or let someone else. But who would be that nice? To pay a debt that isn't His? Well, I know someone like that. His name's Jesus. When He died on the cross, He paid for the sins of those who trust Him. This is the sweet gospel. This is the good news that overpowers the bad news. So if you're a believer, if you have trusted Him, take Obadiah's words to heart. Because the bad news of Obadiah is what you've been rescued from. And it can, it can cause you to love and appreciate and be more grateful for what you've been given. But if you're not a believer, I pray that, that you will believe this bad news so that you'll seek the forgiveness and come to the mercy of Jesus and receive the good news of the Gospel. In Hebrews 4.7, I want to close with this verse as a thought. Hebrews 4.7 He's talking about the timing of when you might want to get these things settled. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today. Saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts.